Alhamdulillah. <laughs> فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فأتي فرعون فقول إن رسول رب العالمين أن أرسل معنا بني إسرائيل قال ألم نربك فينا وليدا ولبثت فينا من عمرك سنين وفعلت فعلتك التي فعلت وأنت من الكافرين رب الشحل صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله اللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر أمين رب العالمين Today's khutbah is a continuation of what I started last week, speaking about um, emotional trauma uh, and some of its components that are talked about in the Qur'an. And I've been spending the last week just thinking about how to continue this series because there's such a vast amount to cover. Uh, but I realized that I should stick to a method that I've, I've been committed to for so long, and that is allowing the Qur'an to dictate the course of the material to be covered. So my plan, inshallah, is to go through the as much of this conversation as possible in this series of khutbahs and to analyze the components that I haven't done uh, in the past and to highlight things about what we can recognize in terms of uh, not just trauma and how to, how to deal with abusive trauma, um, inshallah, in light of Allah's words. So where I want to start today is uh, really something about the word abuse. Uh, we think of this word as something that's used in extreme cases. So when you say that somebody's a victim of abuse, for instance, then you would think of somebody who has been maybe hospitalized because they got beat up, right? Or somebody's been kicked out of their home or some really, really extreme, outrageous circumstance uh, that we find, okay, now that was abusive. Or somebody really raised their voice or really went out of their way to insult or humiliate someone, that would be abusive behavior. But... Um, Actually, the term abuse can be used for something much more silent. It can be used for something that's kind of like a slow boil. Probably many of you are familiar with the example of, you know, the, the, the frog experiment, that if you they, they put a frog in scorching, boiling hot water, and it jumps out of it right away. But if you take a frog and you put it in the water, and you allow it to boil slowly, it doesn't realize that it's being boiled until it's, until it's too late. And a lot of times psychological abuse takes that form. It's something slow and building up and continuous, and it's kind of setting somebody up for being controlled. And there are two sides of that. There's the victim, and then there's the abuser. And no one is 100% a victim, and no one is 100% an abuser. There are spectrums in between. But the Quran does make things, in some cases, black and white, so we can see the qualities of an abuser and the qualities of someone who they're trying to make into a victim. So we can recognize both of those elements clearly. And then we have to figure out in our lives where we stand. It might end up being that I'm in a position of a victim, or I'm in the position of an abu abuser, or that I'm a victim in some things and an abuser in others. That may be the case too. So, and, But that requires an honest look at ourselves. So one of the disclaimers that I want to give as I speak about this subject is it's very easy 
to put ourselves in a position where we say, well, I heard this and I can think of like four people that are exactly like this. And we're not thinking about ourselves. We'd, be, we'd hate to put ourselves in that, that mirror view. Do I have any element of this in me, right? That's a very hard thing to do because human beings are not prone to look at their own flaws. We're, it's not easy for us to do that. Allah says, but it, Human beings are in best full view of their own selves, the human being is, even though he makes all kinds of excuses, he casts excuses. In other words, we are defensive about ourselves. Uh, and it's obviously something that happens when somebody else insults us and we get that how dare you reaction immediately. But this is not about somebody else pointing the finger at me or somebody else pointing the finger at you. This is about us looking at the Quran as a contemplation for our behavior, our own behavior, and also, of course, recognizing abusive behavior around ourselves. So it's both of those things because we're not immune. Allah says to us, "La tuzaku anfusakum." Don't declare yourselves pure. Another way of thinking about that ayah is, don't consider yourselves self-righteous. You're not so pure yourselves. So it's probably bad for us to think that everything I'm saying is only pointed at somebody else. It's also equally bad that we, you hear something and you only blame yourself. These are two extremes that happen and they actually are both, interestingly enough, a form of self-obsession. Uh, someone who's, you know, has this narcissistic tendency, and we'll get into the psychological definition of narcissism and how the Quran deals with that subject and what the Quran comments on the subject later on. But there are different shades of narcissism, somebody who's obsessed with themselves. There are two shades, two very different shades of it. One shade of it is someone who thinks they're more important than everybody else. Right? Their feelings matter, nobody else's feelings matter. What they want is priority, what anybody else wants is not priority. They're not able to empathize, they're not able to connect with somebody else emotionally, they're not able to have even sympathy for somebody else. So long as it furthers them, their ego, their recognition, their agenda, their goal, their greed, whatever it may be, their status, their authority, you know, that's it. That's all that matters, looking out for number one. That's one kind of narcissist. But the other kind is actually very subtle. It's someone who constantly thinks that everybody's out to get them and they're the victim. And they want special treatment because they are constantly being victimized by everybody else. Everybody else does wrong to me. I need special treatment because I'm always getting beat up. Right? That's also a kind of self-obsession. Now you can't see anything you're doing wrong because everybody else is always doing something wrong. Right? So one is kind of a positive arrogance which is I'm better than everybody else and nobody else is as important as I am and I'm beyond flaws. And the other is I'm so broken and I'm so beat up and everybody hates me and that's why I need special treatment, right? So that's also an obsession with the self. And these are ex those are extremes that I'm talking about, but there are there's a spectrum in between. So I don't want any of you, as you listen to these things, to go into the extremes, to, to for myself also, to become extremely defensive about myself or to become extremely self-victimizing and say, yeah, that's exactly me. You know, those none of those, neither of those are healthy. And you know, I pray that we're able to, to maintain that that balance and that new, you know, that sincerity to the word of Allah and to see ourselves and others in an honest light. So I start, I left off just commenting on the fact that Musa salam was brave enough to confront the Pharaoh on Allah's command and say, We are in fact the messenger of the master of all nations and all people, Musa and Harun say, that, and we come on account of the fact that you must now let the Israelites go. Right? So there are two components, really interestingly. I mean, this story is universal. So every component of this story has some universal value. There are two things that Musa is asking 
or make, it's declaring, one of them is spiritual. So he's saying he comes as, as a messenger of Rabbil Alameen, of the master of all nations, right? So he's talking about Allah. He's talking about Allah. That's, the, that's a spiritual component. And arsil ma'ana bani Israel, and you let, we become so that you let the sons of Israel, meaning the children of Israel, the Israelites who are enslaved by the Egyptian emperor, right? You need to let them go. They are no longer to be your slaves, right? Which is a social or in a call to action. It's not a spiritual declaration. It's actually the end to an injustice, right? So there's a, when someone speaks a truth, there's a spiritual truth. And tied to that spiritual truth is the call for some kind of justice, Right, those two things go hand in hand. Very simply, in your life, you could say, well, for example, your uncle is, you know, uh, not not treating his sons fairly, or something like that, or he's, you know, he's not dealing with his business partner fairly. You can start with something spiritual, like how Allah, we all have to stand in front of Allah one day, and Allah will make what's fair fair, and He's going to ask us about everything that we do. And on that spiritual basis, maybe you can softly give the advice about maybe you should treat your business partner better. Maybe you shouldn't be lying to him about how much income you're making or something like that, right? So there's a spiritual foundation and then there's a call to righteous action, to the right thing to do. And that's both of those components are here. He, he's not saying, uh, this is really important too. I'm not saying you're wrong. Allah is teaching me that you're doing something wrong. So I don't, I'm, I'm not speaking on my own behalf. If you don't value what I have to say, if you don't care what my opinion means, because you know you could come to uh, someone, last time I talked about power dynamics, you come to someone with a higher power position than yourself, an older brother, a parent, an, a grandfather, an uncle, an employer, a teacher, whoever, and you approach them about something they're doing wrong or something that is wrong. But if you're coming from a position of, listen, I, I just wanted to let you know or, or remind you that what I'm going to tell you, what I'd like to sincerely advise you of is not because I hate you, it's not because I see, want to see you put down. It's because Allah wants it this way. Look at what Allah is saying and look at what you're doing. Right? And I, I, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of Allah's word. And so I'm sincerely advising you of this. Right? So it's actually a, an, an act of love, actually, to correct somebody lovingly and to do so with the backing of Allah's word. Now, this is very different than slapping somebody with religion. And using an ayah or a hadith to humiliate someone. That's not what we're talking about here. But when he's engaged in such an atrocious behavior, dealing with people in this way, he, 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 you know, he gets support from the mention of Allah first. And then he makes the call. You need to let the Israelites go. And it's interesting connection, right? And that is, you treat them as your slaves, but they already have a master. Their master is Rabbul Alameen. And I came on the master's behalf. He wants his slaves back. They're not your slaves. They're his slaves. You understand? So it's like it's putting somebody in their position. And Allah does this in the Quran, even in, for example, in um, really interesting passages on divorce law in Surah Al-Baqarah. And at the end, like, for example, when Allah is talking about how not to engage in an abusive process when the divorce proceedings are happening. And at the end of it, Allah Azza wa mentions his highest status. Why would he mention his highest status? Because one person thinks, oh, they're getting away with something. And the other person, they're getting away with something. No one's getting away with anything. So long as you recognize I'm the highest authority, I will decide how to, how to act, act this out. Your vendetta, your grudge, your, you know, your scars from before, none of them override my instructions 
on how to deal with this situation. You understand? So that's this is what Allah Azza wa Jal does. This is how He pivots us to act in the right way. So anyway, so Musa alayhi salam says this, but what I wanted to dedicate this khutbah to really is Firaun's response and really thinking about his response. So Firaun has just heard something very legitimate. And it, you know, the, the there are a few background things you need to know. You would think the Pharaoh has the, you know, his own superstitious religion in which he's a god, he's this son of the, the, you know, he's the child of the sun god Ra, and they have their mythology and their ancient tradition. But in fact, we learn in the Quran that they were very familiar with Islam. They knew that there's only one God and that he sends prophets and the prophets get revelation. And in fact, they knew that because this empire was only able to become an empire because of the dream of Yusuf alayhi salam. And they remembered that in their history. They recognized him. They understood that he was a prophet. They knew that he talked about Allah all the time. They, they knew that he talked about messengership all the time. And this is referred to in the Quran elsewhere. So this is important to know because it's not like the Pharaoh's hearing something he's never heard before. Or he has no idea. He knows. He knows. And there, there's even, you know, some kind of an illusory reference in the Quran in Surah Ghafir. It seems to indicate, not explicitly, but implicitly, that Yusuf salam warned them that a messenger might come. That another messenger will come. And this messenger, meaning Yusuf salam, the, this prophet came to save the land of Egypt. But if you deny the next one, that if you deny him, it might destroy the land of Egypt. So when the next prophet comes, you should believe in him. And that's why they said, oh, when, when, Mus when Yusuf died, لَنْ يَبْعَثَ اللَّهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ رَسُولًا You're the people who said, meaning the pharaohs themselves, you're the people who said Allah will not send another messenger after him. Why would they even say that? Because implicitly, because Yusuf may have told them Allah will be sending a messenger. Right? And he himself did not declare himself a messenger. He was just a Nabi. So he's talking about another messenger to come, which would be uh, Musa alayhi himself. So the prophecy has now come true. And the, the pharaohs are big believers in prophecy, by the way. They believe in these things. And they held Yusuf in a very high position. So he wasn't like, you know how in previous nations, prophets were heard and they were dismissed. And the people called them crazy and didn't pay attention to them. Yusuf is not like that. Yusuf was made a governor, a minister. He's considered a savior of Egypt, his word. And that word also based on his interpretation of a dream of a prophecy that he made about how the famine's going to play out. So they paid close attention to the prophecies of Yusuf. You understand? With that background in mind, when Musa comes back and says that I have come on behalf of the master of all nations, that you let the Israelites go, there's another component to that. And that component is they know the history of the Israelites. And it's actually because of the Israelites, that particular Israelite, Yusuf, that Egypt was saved to begin with. So how are you taking the people that saved this nation and you have now you know, enslaved them? Have you forgotten that history? Because you still remember Yusuf. So how did you forget the people of Yusuf? And how did you take his children and turn them into slaves? So there's a lot of that commentary embedded in these few words. And now when, when, when Firaun responds, Firaun responds in some really interesting Really interesting ways. I, I, I referred to some of this last time, but I'll highlight other things about it today. We'll, we'll look at these words carefully now. Last time I told you, didn't we raise you here since you were a baby? Did we not raise you here since you were a baby? So the word alam nurabbika, nurabbi comes from rabba yurabbi tarbiyatan. And tarbiya in Arabic is to allow something to be nourished and to nurture and to grow. The Pharaoh is making claim that weren't we the ones that nurtured you, that allowed you to grow, that allowed you to develop? 
we, like, you know, a gardener takes careful care of the plant. And so, and then uh, those of you that are familiar with Arabic, Alam nurabbika walidan fina. Didn't we nurture you as since being a newborn in our midst? Fina, the muta'alliq bil fi'il goes at the end. But here you find, Alam nurabbika fina walida. It's muqaddam. What that means in simple English is, do you realize what a privilege it is that we're the ones that raised you? And that too, in our own midst? It's not just that I financed you while you lived in the ghettos. I allowed you to stay within our midst. You, who have no class position to be here, were given this privilege. So the first element of the speech of the Pharaoh is to make Musa realize how inferior and how unworthy he even is of the good things that have been done to him by, by, by Firam. Sound familiar? This is a very powerful tactic. That when the, the one in a position of control, when they hear something they don't want to hear, when they're asked to confront a truth that they need to confront, they will remind you that you are so unworthy of the good that has been done to you all along, while you even, before you made this offense of speaking up, even before this, you were un, unworthy of any of it. You didn't deserve any of it. We're the ones that were charitable. We're the ones that allowed you to stay in our midst and we nurtured you. We nurtured you. What kind of nurturing was this? What kind of nurturing did you know, uh, uh, Fir'aun give? Fir'aun can give material nurturing, it's true. He can allow him to live in a palace. He can provide him food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He can give him royal clothing, which he probably had. He could probably give him a beautiful horse or a ride, a chariot, status. These things Musa Alisam probably enjoyed. But now you see raising someone from the Fir'aun worldview and raising someone from the Iman worldview and the difference between them. There are people who will give you material things and they will give you nothing spiritually, nothing morally, nothing ethically. How, how did you raise him a millionaire and you, you made it okay to have slaves? Because those two things are not mutually, because I did so much good to you in the material sense. I provided you a high level political education. You learn how things work inside the palace and the court. I'm sure Musa salam was very much familiar with the economics of the, of the country and the more complex things that were happening in Egyptian society. It was, it was the most advanced society of its time. So he's got a high level, PhD level kind of education. In fact, some historians even argue that royalty from around the world used to send their young to the Egyptian empire to gain higher education. So Musa salam is basically being raised in the Harvard of the time, right? He's getting that high class education. But that education comes at the same time with moral bankruptcy, right? Spiritually and morally, he's getting nothing from the Fir'aun, nothing from him. In fact, the only way he's getting that is secretly from his biological mother and actually also secretly from his adopting mom, Asiya. That's where he's getting it from. But Fir'aun claims that what he gave him is actually nurturing. So what you see now is two different worldviews. Someone who feels they've done a lot, even though they've done good in the material sense, which can't be denied, at the expense of a moral upbringing, at the expense of teaching right from wrong. Because in fact, what Musa Islam is coming and saying is completely right. And there will be people who may have done some good for you. They've done some good for you, but they've also, they may have done material good for you while they've done spiritual and emotional harm against you at the same time. So both those things have happened at the same time. But they'll claim and they'll make you feel inferior. Or you might make them feel inferior. 
for the material gain you may have given them, the material support you may have given them, even though you were, you know, destroying them emotionally and spiritually, even though that was the case. And that's where alam nurabbika fina walida comes from. And the fact that when you do something, if you do something for someone you love, is the, is the other part of this. If you genuinely love somebody and you give them something, you give your, you, you give your dad a car, right? Or you give your brother, you paid off your brother's loan, something. You did something for somebody. You never bring it up again. Doesn't matter if they hurt your feelings. That's not why you gave it to them. So, oh, so that time I paid your tuition, you forgot already? You see, I knew you didn't deserve it. You would never do that. And if you do do that, then you have a quality Fir'aun has. You see that? He's highlighting, if he did something out of nurturing love for Musa salam, then it's done. You did it out of love. It's not brought up. It's not used to remind the favor and to make someone feel how small and insignificant they are because everything you've done for them. The kind of people who like to remind how much everything was done for someone, that's the kind of person that does it, that, that shows that that giving was not actually out of genuine love. It's actually out of eventually this will be, be a means of control. I'm giving, giving, giving. I'm going to get a return on my investment. If not a material return on my investment, maybe I'll get control this way. Because they'll always be buried under my favor. But if, if you gave, and you gave for sincere, genuine reasons, then you don't bring it up again. In fact, even the Quran says, Believers, don't cancel out any charities you may have given by imposing it as a favor later on. By bringing it up and by saying hurtful things. Right? So now that's exactly what he's done here. And that's exactly what you might find somebody doing. And that's a way of putting you in place. It, everything I'm saying about Fir'aun has an effect on the listener. What effect is he hoping to have on Musa is what I'll conclude with today. What effect is he hoping to have by saying, Alam nurabbika fina walida? He's hoping to have the effect that he will feel so buried under the weight of my favors that he will feel that when he spoke truth, and he called out something wrong that was happening that he'll feel so ungrateful. He'll feel ungrateful for saying the right thing. I am being so ungrateful and so dismissive of everything Fir'aun did for me by saying what I'm saying. I should be ashamed of myself. How could I question him? How could I challenge what he's been doing with the Israelites? How could I bring up a God other than, other than him? How could I do that to him after everything he's done for me? The, 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 one of the powers of an abusive controller is that they can make you feel like doing the right thing is an act of ingratitude, right? It, it works, it works. So they can, you might hear things like, oh, so this is how you thank me for everything I did, huh? This is the thanks I get. This is how you show me gratitude. Wow, thank you so much. You know what? Now I really appreciate why I did everything for you. Right? And you're not, you're not being disrespectful or abusive. And if you are, that's something else. But if you're simply saying the right thing, just the right thing, and you're being slammed for it with the accusation of being ungrateful, this is a very powerful tactic. It didn't work on Musa, السلام, but on most of you, on most of us, it works. When you shame somebody, they back down. And then he didn't stop there. He did two other things, which I'll elaborate next week, but I'll give you a hint towards them. He said, And you remained in our midst for so many years of your life. 
so many years. You you stayed even among us. In other words, we didn't just nurture you when you were a child. We allowed you to be an adult. I didn't throw you back among the slaves. I kept you royalty, even though you're a slave race. So many years of your life you lived here. And it also implies not just gratitude, now a new dimension. And that is, you lived here. You don't know how to act in the palace. You don't know how to talk to the king. You don't know the kind of respect everybody gives me. You're going to talk to me like this. In other words, for saying the right thing, not only am I ungrateful, I'm also disrespectful. I'm also disrespectful. I don't have respect. In other words, the abuser is doing something wrong. This is what I'll conclude with. The abuser is doing something wrong, but by the end of this conversation, I don't feel like they're doing something wrong. They're making me feel like I'm the one doing something wrong. They're able to flip the script. And that's actually what psychologists talk about when they talk about you know uh, people that are in abusive relationships. They, they are trained to blame themselves. But even when they're being abused, they're blaming themselves. That happens because a, a, a good abuser knows how to put you to shame constantly and train you to blame yourself. You're not programmed that way to begin with. You're not programmed that way to begin with, but it can be created. That, that, that environment can be created where you're constantly being fed Blame yourself, blame yourself, blame yourself. How could you? How ungrateful could you be? How disrespectful could you be? And when these things are used as a means of suppression and control, it works. It works so well that one of the most master evil politicians in history, Fir'aun, used it. Right? He, he used it on his nation and he used it even in his own family. And so may Allah help us recognize that in ourselves and recognize the guidance of Allah on how to respond to something like that through through the story inshallah ta'ala as we'll continue this series barakallahu li wa lakum fil qur'an al-hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyyakum bil ayati wa dhikri al-hakim alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadihi alladhina istafa khususan ala afdalihim wa khatamin nabiyyin muhammadin al-amin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in qala allah azza wa jalla fi kitabihi al-karim ba'da an aqula a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim bismillahir rahmanir rahim إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا مرقوطا